we are actually moving into a new series uh, this morning, um, a new series called Identity. Identity. Uh, it's, it's a big talking point in the, in the world today, but uh, God's been about identity life way longer than that. <laughs> All right, so 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 we're we're, we're launching into that, and and it, it actually it actually fits well because uh, as we go through this process with with our name, at the end of the day, no matter what somebody calls you, your identity is going to need to be founded in what what God says. Our our, our identities uh, loosely they're, they're shaped by lots of things. Uh, uh, who we've been told we are. Uh, by words, treatment, even the culture around us, what we've accepted from the sources that were the the most relevant to us at any given time, identity. Those things add building blocks to who we know ourselves to be. Uh, We we carry and, and blend those with the roles that we occupy in the world to establish uh, our larger identity, uh, teacher, lawyer, daughter, mom, wife, husband, single, clerk, mail carrier, what, 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 whatever it is, we, we, we patch it together. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer, and throughout this series, we, we're going we're gonna, to uh, get ourselves grounded in the thought that we must see our identities in light of who God is and what he said and done regarding us. We have to see our identities in that way. Finding our chief identity in him allows us to rightly relate to him and live out the lives he's intended for us to live. Only when we root our identity in him. So today we're going we're gonna to open uh, in the book of Galatians. We're going to open in the book of Galatians, and uh, when you find it, if you could meet me there in the fourth chapter of Galatians, uh, it, it actually gets a running start uh, at the end of the third chapter, but uh, our focus will be Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. But I, uh, just for good measure, I got to read the end of chapter 3. Uh, I'll start there at the, at the 23rd verse in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, we read it from the English Standard Version. The Word of God says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Chapter 4 says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, 
is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. An heir through God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Uh, As we open your word, Lord, we are uh, faced with immeasurable riches and truth. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would enable us to uh, comprehend, to grasp, to receive your your holy word and uh, your desire, your will for us, Lord, with understanding, God, and with obedience, that we be shaped by it, Lord. We pray that your, your grace and your peace will be on all that are gathered here. We pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord, who are absent from us this day, Lord, but not from your presence. We pray your hand of grace and mercy will be over them, God, that you would keep them and bless them, Lord. We thank you, Lord, now for this time. And I ask, Lord, for a fresh anointing to preach and an anointing to receive your word. And Father... Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. But Lord, you are my strength, my rock, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, whither shall I go? What what did thine only son endure before I drew my breath? What pain, what labor to secure my soul from endless death? I remember this song being sung by... uh, the seasoned saints, the older folks in the church when I was a youngster. Um, And they they sang it in just such a way that there was such longing in their voices. I I couldn't understand, I couldn't understand it fully as a child, but but now I think I I get it just a little bit better. (laughs) Uh, uh, They would would drag a I mean, they would, they would hold it like something in them was, but, 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 I, I, I think I'm getting it. I, I realize now that they had grasped and were expressing 
a right perspective and, and understanding of relationship with God that, that many might take for granted or, or neglect altogether when they sang this hymn. The, this, the, 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 the hymn writer and, the, and those saints, uh, they, they, they understood something of God that I think people miss. The text today, we, we, we see that they both were, were on biblically solid ground in the way that they were calling to God. Uh, they, they were singing as only his children can. Today we're going we're gonna to consider being God's adopted children. God's adopted children. None of the, you know, there's, there's stigma with that word in, in society, adopted, adopted, but, but not, not here. Uh, I want to I suggest to you that you reject any identity that neglects your rightful relationship with God in Christ. Reject any identity that neglects your rightful relationship with God in Christ. Uh, we haven't been around Galatians for a while. Just as a, a, a recap, Galatians has, it has this overarching theme of, of liberty, uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't point to the liberty of simply doing or being whatever you want, though. It's a different thing. Right? In fact, it shows how that, that kind of so-called freedom is always tangled in bondage. Uh, that I do what I want, when I want, how I want. There's a, there's a liberty supplied by God himself, though, that leads to true life. That's what Galatians is after. It is a, a freedom that is enjoyed only in special, intimate relationship with him. Paul is, is speaking here, the, the, the writer, speaking to those who haven't fully understood how their new identities in Christ have a, has positioned them to participate in all of the benefits of this freedom. Paul's trying to get them to get it. <clears throat> but not only the benefits, the, the responsibilities of the freedom. Freedom comes with responsibility. They, they're, they're being tempted, uh, this group in Galatia, they're being tempted to take on and live out some lesser identity and status. Uh, this, this sounds like the world today. They, they're, uh, they're encouraged here, though, by Paul to embrace and hold on to their greater identity. After, after describing in chapter 3 how this relationship that leads to this identity is mediated by Christ and faith in Christ, he restates and, and drives home that message and, and, and also shares his implications here. He says in verse, uh, chapter 4, in verse 1, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Paul paints the picture here uh, uh, to, to illustrate uh, of a child heir under the complete control of a household or a state manager. He uses this, uh, 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 this illustration to highlight how 
life under that type of control, regardless of, of legal claim to all assets and property, is like having it all and having nothing at the same time. In that way, the, the heir seems to hold no more status than a person uh, who, who held enslaved as a servant in a home. His name's on it, but he doesn't have access to it. Uh, the, the big difference Paul gets at here is, is that this condition is only temporary, though, for the child heir. Everything still technically belongs to them. The heir has rights to it, just no authority to claim it until the father says so. The appointed time. Whether, 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 whether through age or, or maturity, Paul plainly expresses to them that everyone has found themselves in, in forms of bondage. Uh, whether, whether Jew or Gentile, we've, we've all spent time subject to or enslaved to something. Uh, uh, B.C. days, that's, that's before Christ, B.C. days. Paul calls, calls them elementary principles. Some translations use elemental spirits or spiritual forces or basic principles. There have been various thoughts on how to to interpret and and understand the nature of these elementary principles. We we won't delve into all of that now. If you want to meet me for coffee, we can sit and go through it. I I like talking about this kind of stuff. But but, but in a nutshell, they all point to being under control of systems or entities that take precedence over God. Uh, Anything... Taking precedence over God is not sent by God. It's demonic. Uh, um, uh, uh, holding These things holding sway over the lives of people um, uh, when they were existing in their place of spiritual immaturity. That's, that's the place where they were, and that's the dominion they were under. Uh, enslaving elements. For the Galatians, these folks, it likely included forms of pagan religion. Believing the, the heavenly bodies exercise God-like control over human life. Nobody would think that today. I'm not going to ask you your sign. Okay, are y'all in here? Y'all the, some, some, some were in, in bondage to nature through, through worshiping its elements. Uh, the earth, wind, fire, air, water. Look, uh, 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 this, this, it might even be summed up in our culture today uh, uh, as attributing governing status to the universe itself. Um, in fact, if we took a quick look around today, we, we'd still find all types of enslaving elements, addictions, oppressive systems, as well as materialism and constant pleasure-seeking behavior, enslaving elements. Even the idea for the Jews, the idea of using the law or using faith or using 
religion <laughs> to gain favor with God would only prove to provide another form of bondage rather than freedom. Bondage. Any and all external forces sought out to provide access or favor with God would fall short. Paul said, that's where you've been. Paul's picture of the enslaved child, it doesn't sound like an identity anyone would want to hold on to, let alone go back to like these Galatians were. No, no one uh, 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 can... can can false worship their way out of this, uh, this, this kind of identity or, 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 or obey their way through this kind of identity or just naturally, you don't just naturally grow out of this kind of enslaved, uh, a spiritually immature uh, identity. They'd have to stay in it until the one with the authority to pronounce them free does it, brings them out, brings them out. This is why you can... Talk to people until you're blue in the face about what they're doing, what they're worshiping, how they're living. They need to be brought out of it. Thankfully, God did just that. Uh, he initiating a path to himself and making available an identity marked by relationship with him. Look at this. In verse 4 it says, All of that was happening. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God acted and Jesus showed up. Uh, it's an intervention. Uh, it, it wasn't. Random, but a, a perfectly planned and timed mission of rescue and reconciliation. God did it. Look, it, it, it happened. Look how, look how it all took place. It happened, the scripture says, in the fullness of time. I mean, that's something in itself. The eternal God that exists independent of time and space, who created time and space, entered into that time and space the moment that he saw fit, the moment he created. <laughs> Some believe when, it, when you, they read the fullness of time, that it was the fullness of time because of the, the earthly conditions were conducive for the spreading of the good news of his kingdom broadly. There were things set up the, in that time, the, the highway road systems that were built by the Romans uh, were interconnecting all of the lands and, and the common Greek language that was used for commerce meant people could communicate all over. And then, and then there was a force, stabilized peace throughout the world. Seemed like it was a time. Pax Romana. I just like saying that. Look, they, uh, 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 although all of these would be favorable conditions for God making his gospel known, the fact is, it was the time appointed by the Father when he chose to move, to advance his kingdom and bring people into a new status with himself. If he hadn't chose the time, the time wouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, and and, and as, we, as we read those verses, this is a good place for those 
uh, wanting to understand more, a little more about who Jesus is to get a, a good theological snapshot of his person and his work. Because it's right here in the text uh, as the son of God being sent forth. Watch this. We, we should recognize that the son of God being sent forth that he was sent forth from somewhere. He, he had presence and relationship with the father prior to his advent here on earth. John chapter 1 put it like this, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, talking about Jesus, and, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. His, pre, his, his divine, eternal preexistence. We're talking about Jesus here. Then, then uh, his person and work, what else do we need to know about him? He was being born of a woman. Now, when we, when we read that, we understand that from his pre-existence in glory, he entered into a fully human and fully Jewish context. Uh, so he was, man, that's, that, that's enough. We could say amen and stop there. But, but, but why? 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 Look into the purpose. Why? Um, humanity, we just read about it, was in an enslaved spiritual condition that was playing out in their physical lives. It just wasn't in the atmosphere around them. It was playing out in their physical lives uh, that, that, that ended in death, right? So he took on that human condition to grant people new identities that would be tied to his own. Y'all, y'all not with me. Listen, look, taking on that human condition, this is what he needed. He, he needed to become subject to a law that was never meant for someone with a spotless, sinless life. But he submitted to it, being born under it, to fulfill it for those trapped, unable to fulfill it. This is part of the why. So, so as, as Scripture said he would, he came to those who had received the law, knowing the weight of the, uh, the whole law was too much for them to bear, and they weren't able to carry it or fulfill it. Christ came and lifted and carried it and fulfilled it perfectly on their behalf. The behalf of those identified with him. Jesus Coming at that appointed time made those placing faith in him eligible for a new identity with all its rights, privileges, and obligations. Uh, look at this. God had an eternal plan that included people brought into relationship with him as sons. Now, now I, I, I may have lost people a couple Verses back, uh, uh, looking at the relationship of God and, and the sons. But, but although the word translated sons here, it usually points to just the male descendant. But when, when it's placed here in this phrase, adoption of sons, it has less to do with the, the gender of the recipient than, than it does the legal rights and standing of the one who is adopted. He's getting after something. It, it carries with it the understanding of full eligibility for inheritance. 
Uh, so, so both men and women are included in the idea of being beneficiaries of, of the good plan and blessings of God through adoption. Look at this. God is good. The, the adoption of sons makes available all the rights of the father to the offspring at the time he has appointed the fullness of time. You know, one of the things that we're looking at this, this adoption, one of the things about the adoption process in, in our nation that, that, that's hard for me to understand is why such high costs have to be paid. <laughs> the fees for courts and, and, and agencies, it, it seems to actually to, to work against actually wanting to connect as many children as possible to stable, loving families and homes. It seems all the fees and... I, 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 somebody said, I cram to understand. <laughs> look, look, look. Uh, and, and, and just for us still, uh, those in the room and those uh, online, and, uh, uh, we recognizing that we still recognize, though, that it's God's will. Um, and so we, we partner with someone, Family Hope Coalition, to, to hopefully help those wanting to engage in that calling of, of caring for the orphan, to, to provide some support and help. But, but as I was considering what the issue was in the world with this process, I find there's also a cause connected to the the adoptive process happening here in the text. There's a cost that, that goes on there. But, 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 but it, it's not just some random adoption fee plus taxes. It, it, it was to cover the price of liberating those who were in the condition of enslavement. The cost. There is a sacrificial price written and paid for this redemption carried out by Jesus that's, that's understood in the text. It's, 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 it's permeating the text. The, 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 the work of Jesus was not only fulfilling the law, but covering the cost of redemption through the giving of his life on the cross. I, when, when, when considering your identity, do you calculate the incredible price paid for you? Do you, do you recognize how valued you are? This is why identity is so important here, because some of us are not living our worth. We show up less than this price God paid for us. So look here, we're going to move. As, as, as God the Son handled the cost, the Holy Spirit took on the role of, of seal and witness of this new status that we have. He says, and, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Father. 
Not only has he, has he chosen to adopt you as his own and, and sent his son to accomplish it, instead of signing a, a birth certificate, the scripture shows us here and in, the, in Romans in chapter 8 that God sent his spirit to take up residence in us like a birthmark. He, the Holy Spirit, would, the Holy Spirit identifies us as having, have, ha, ha, those having the legal status and full family rights. The Holy Spirit, he, he bears witness, Romans 8.16, that, that we're now God's children. Uh, the Holy Spirit even speaks on our behalf when we don't know what to pray and say to the Father. He intercedes. He not only intercedes for us, the Holy Spirit, the, the scripture says here, he prompts us from within to use the voice of our new identity to call out to Abba, Father. To call out to him when we need to call out to him. It's a relational call. Uh, there, there, there was a time, there was a time, I, see, I like to date myself when I preach. There, there was a time when, when kids would, would wrestle and the only way that the contest was, was won or that the, the loser could acknowledge defeat was by them yelling, uncle. <laughs> y'all, y'all don't remember that. It, it, it meant I give, I, I, I quit, you win. It, it, it acknowledged the person as having a superior position like a father's brother and, and, and calling on them to show mercy, uncle. But depending on the kid, they, they might actually apply more pressure so that the loser would yell louder. Y'all didn't play like this when you were younger. And then finally, hopefully, maybe the painful grip would be released. Uncle. Although this identity, it brings great privilege, this position of adopted children is not without its challenges. To connect to Christ is also to, is to also acknowledge you will join him in some suffering in this world. It's a part of it. It's in the scripture. I don't have to ask if I'm right. Um, but, but, but unlike those who aren't adopted, you can also cry out like Christ when you face trials. Uh, you, you, you can cry out with a unique and powerful cry. They're, they're, the children are out there in the hallway right now, but if one of them yelled mom or one of them yelled dad, the right mom or dad, would hear their cry and go, or roll their eyes and say no, one, one or the other. But, but, but nevertheless, it, it would, you would be able to respond. We, we, that, that, this unique voice that we've been given, this powerful cry, because of his spirit, we could cry, Abba, dear Father. I don't know how the relationship with your earthly father may be. He might have been a rock star. You might want to tell him to go kick rocks. Whatever the relationship was, the, the, the relationship here 
is one of intimate covering, provision, connection, care, Abba, dear Father. It's a relational and intimate cry that we are now privileged to make. Who, who, would, who would trade the privilege of being able to call on the maker and sustainer of the entire universe like a child calls their parent from a dark room after a nightmare? Who would trade that in? Who would look to the elements or the inanimate, uh, the impotent things of the world that have no power instead of the loving Abba, Father? Who would trade that? No one led by his spirit would. We see here that that, that this work is completely set in place, in case you missed it, by the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in agreement, actively bringing people to his desired place of adopted children. It's a work of God (laughs) happening. And he says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Verse 6 was using uh, plural language. It was describing the collective identity uh, that, that we have in Christ as sons in plural you, you all. Right. It was using that in verse six. But now this verse points to the individual's personal relationship and benefit. It comes in close. It's the singular you. It's you. You are no longer a slave to any system or influence or power or authority. You are no longer a slave, but you are an adopted child. You, an adopted child of God with God's spirit bearing constant witness in the heart of of, of present intimate relationship with the Father right now. Uh, 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 An heir lined up with full rights of access to all that's available in the Father's kingdom right now. In Christ, God has prepared and performed everything necessary for this to be reality for people. Adopted children. The only question is whether this is your identity or not. Everyone has to answer that question for themselves. Whether it is your identity or not. In this room, watching online, the answer to that question, you can scrape, you can create and mix and pour into and make whatever identity you want to make. The question, is this your identity? If it is, no matter what people might say, uh, suggest, or, or do, you stand in the position of God's child and heir if it's your identity. If not, you remain under the authority and demands of another kingdom. This, this life of, of being adopted heirs has is, is, just been growing more and more amazing to me as, as wife and I. We've been 
walking through this human process of adoption. Uh, and few things strike me, but first, that God did this not due to any need of his own or any virtue held by us, but simply because of his love. It's the striking thing about adoptions. We were roaming around like spiritual orphans, but he did this. He chose to do this. Also, as a, as a human father in this process, I start to realize and recognize the hope and desire I have for my own heir to not only flourish, but to enjoy the security and every benefit that being in full relationship with me can provide. I, I, I feel that from the deepest parts of myself. But then I thought, if, if I strive for that to happen in the life of my son with my limited strength and, and limited resources and love, how much more does the father not only desire, but make lovingly, uh, make it available to those he sets free and now calls his children? How much bigger, how much more is this relationship in Jesus? You are God's beloved, liberated, adopted heirs. You are. I'll say, that, I'll say in, in closing that if you recognize this as your identity, I'll encourage you as you go out into the world this week and they, that I encourage you to reject any thoughts or ways of living that don't align with this truth of our identity. If it doesn't line up, throw it out. Know who you are. 